1: COX, bringing us closer. In COX serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. COX terms apply. Other restrictions may apply.
0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are now in the famous forecourt of Drowman's Chinese Theater on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where the Metro-Golden-Mare production Grand Hotel is having its world premiere this evening. The outstanding cast of the motion picture industry has been lavished on this production. Any attempt to describe the setting here tonight would necessarily give only a very limited idea. Drama's Chinese Theater this evening is a mecca for the elite of Hollywood. There are celebrities attending this premiere from all over the country. Hollywood Boulevard is ablaze with light. Thousands of people down the sidewalks and the street in front of the theater and here in the forecourt. Batteries and cameras are banked on all sides of us. Microphones are suspended from overhead. The great array of stars featured in this picture is bringing screen colony out in full force this evening. We promise to introduce all the celebrities that attend. You probably know from the advanced pictures and publicity that have been sent out, the action of the Picture Grand Hotel centers around the great circular desk in the lobby. That same desk has been erected here this evening, and as the stars arrive, they will be asked to sign the hotel register. Naturally, it would be outside the province of anyone not connected with the film industry to attempt the introduction of Screenland's famous personages. So I will now turn the microphone over to
2: our Master of Ceremony. G'day and welcome to another episode of Awards Don't Matter. I am the co-host Andrew Pierce, and I'm joined by my co-host Dave Giannini. Welcome, thank you.
1: Yeah, glad to be here. Glad to, you know, talk about some good movies, Andrew. (laughs) Finally, (laughs) leave these fucking horse movies behind uh, and get to some good stuff. So I'm excited for this episode for sure.
2: And I think I think that this uh, particular episode where we're gonna be discussing the nineteen thirty two Best Picture when a Grand Hotel, uh, is going to give us a, a very definite answer of whether uh to our question which is uh do these films still matter or not? Um because this is a real treat of a film. It's directed by Edmund Golding and is an all-star cast with Greta Garbo, John Barrymore, Joan Crawford, Wallace Beery, Lionel Barrymore, Lewis Stone, and Gene Herschelt. And uh, this film going into watching it, for me at least, was a bit of an odd one because it is the only film to have won the Academy Award for Best Picture without being nominated for anything else. And when you see that and when you hear that,
1: you're like, Really? Why this? Yeah. <laughs> and especially um, like given like I you know <laughs> it's it's very strange. There's a there's a bunch of movies nominated for Best Picture, and as I think we've kind of talked about before, very few nominees for the other um for the other awards. Like there's only I think three for uh best actress, three for best actor, best story, all that stuff. It's it's very limited. And like the fact that this didn't get nominated for like best screenplay or best actress is kind of stunning to me or best director like this is a well crafted movie like i had that same worry that you did when you mentioned to me that it only won for this i'm like oh is this one of the like cuz sometimes you get these these kind of favor awards right like well there's a bunch of people involved we really like we like the director we like these these hollywood stars so Let's, let's give them this one and then shut them out of everything else. Of course, usually that doesn't happen with Best Picture. Usually that would be like Best Director or Best Actor or Actress. But like, man, this is a phenomenal movie. And I think the thing that shocked me most is the kind of disparate tones that are accomplished in this movie. Like the first the first 20 minutes or so, I was like, this is so charming. This is like I could just watch these people interact for five hours and be totally entertained. But then as the as the film moves and it gets a little bit darker and much sadder, and that stuff all works and that is the mark of great direction, great writing, great acting. You know, so the fact that it got kind of negated from those categories is legitimately surprising as I as I watch this movie.
2: Yeah, it really is. And and again, as you're just echoing what you were saying, that that cast is is to die for. you know. The fact that Greta Garbo or Joan Crawford or or even the script itself was not nominated for anything um, is genuinely insane because it's such a joyous, wonderful film to watch. And one of the things I love about Grand Hotel is that it's a bit of a hard film to kind of explain what the plot is because the plot, there are so many different elements working at once to make it go. But the way that it kicks off is so brilliant and yet i can see the elements of so many different directors uh from here on working with this kind of format and style and especially the tone as well and pulling from this kind of uh this kind of film uh, you know i'm thinking of wes anderson for example His kind of oh yeah he is very very uh off the the ilk of grand hotel but the the opening of it is just wonderful and smart where you have most of our main characters all speaking to people on telephones and establishing their own plot points. And yet, (laughs) you know, it's a little bit confusing at first because you're like, at least for me, I was like, this is a lot to take on board right away. There is so much going on and I'm like, okay, should I rewind it? I'm like, no, no, no. I'm going to trust this movie that it's going to make sense. And that's what I love about a film like this is that it encourages you to trust it and to fall into its grace and just be like, no, no, I've got you. It's going to be okay. You're going to have a good time and you're going to know exactly what's going on. Uh, But I love this film a lot. It's so good. So, so good. Yeah.
1: It also had me thinking about the way films are planned now and how different it is from the 1930s. Because if you watch this with 2020 eyes, which you can't help but doing, you can't help but do, this feels like the first movie of 10 Um, like it even has this, this running, kind of this running gag with this, uh, this doctor character says, you know, grand hotel, always the same people come, people go, nothing ever happens. Right. So it's setting up, you know, we're finding the stories of these people and then they leave. And of course the nothing ever happens is a line filled with irony because a lot happens at this hotel. There's a lot going on. Um, and then, you know, at the end of the movie, everybody leaves and goes on with their lives, changed forever, but going on with their lives. And you could easily see, if this was made now, be like, okay, Grand Hotel 2, you know, now we have new people and new stories coming in. Or, you know, you just make it a TV show, and every week you have new people coming and going. But I like the fact that this is kind of this self-contained thing. Um And every as you mentioned, everyone in it is so good. The, the scene that stands out most to me is there's a scene between uh Joan Crawford uh and John Barrymore uh Flemchen and and the Baron where they're flirting um outside of outside of our villains uh who becomes our villains hotel room and the two of them oh my like this is that is a sexy interchange between the two of them and it's just talking There's almost no physical contact there, you know, and it's all done by the way it's framed and the way these two actors are leaning into one another. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is stunning to look at. And of course, it helps that both Joan Crawford and John Barrymore are very easy on the eyes. Um, and, And it also it also is a surprising twist in the fact that these two don't end up together like the way they're introduced you're like okay this is the romantic pairing this is who we're rooting for and it's not that kind of movie at all so i loved how surprising that was because you're just waiting for these two beautiful stars to be together and instead they go the kind of greta garbo route um in this romance that is uh complicated let's say, <laughs> by, well, the, by, the fact, by the fact that John Barrymore's character is a thief, uh, but then comes clean, and, you know, I, I like the fact that he is not a simplistic character. There's a lot going on kind of behind the scenes with the Baron.
2: Yeah, and I want to talk about him in a moment, but I do want to bring up one uh, line of dialogue in that kind of flirtation Uh, between the two to start off with, which I absolutely loved and I thought was just another sign that this film is just full of ripe, beautiful dialogue. And he asked her, because she's very slender, Oh,
0: you're a little stenographer. Yes, I'm a little stenographer. (laughs) (laughs) That's fascinating. I don't suppose you'd uh, take some dictation from me sometime, would you? Well, uh, how about some tea, then? Tea would spoil my dinner only have one meal a day, and I'd rather hate to spoil it. Oh, are you reducing? Reducing? Hmm. Me? Do I need to? Oh, oh no. It's perfect. You know, I don't think I've ever... But, uh, why one meal a day? Money. Have heard of it? Yes, I have, vaguely. But I always thought little stenographers made little pennies. Very little. Oh,
1: that's too bad shocking to hear in a hollywood movie a woman saying like no i'm i'm good i don't need to reduce like that is cuz especially with the like the beauty standards not only of the time but just in general You know, and him reacting of like, no, essentially you're perfect. Like you don't need to change anything, which is a very strange romantic line in a Hollywood movie, like meeting someone and telling them they don't have to change, which is why I think you're immediately rooting for these two because their interactions are so charming.
2: Oh yeah. And I understand that there was a, in the special features on the Blu-ray that I've got, they were talking about the um, concerns that, the, the filmmakers had with Joan Crawford. They were concerned that there might be some, uh, I guess, uh, you know, kind of erotic tones of this particular story. And they were afraid that they might have to cut out certain elements of her because the Hays Code was coming into effect at this period of time. And uh, I, I mean, I don't uh, blame them.
1: Well, I do. yeah, she just it, has this it, kind of natural this natural kind of eroticism to her performance, like just the way that she looks at him and the way that she leans in and the way that she kind of plays with him. Like it is like, it is striking for a movie of this time. I was watching it going like, Oh my God. Like I don't even see this kind of heat between two actors in movies now where you can actually have sex on screen. It's <laughs> yeah, like yeah. back then <laughs> when these codes are being introduced, I could see this being very shocking and very worrisome for the producers.
2: Oh Yeah. And one of the curious things as well is that looking back at the film history and how films were made, I, I love how this film kind of came about in the sense that there was often like if films were made, they wanted just one star as the the head figure and, and the person that they could use to promote the film. And yet for this one, because of the massive all-star cast, which became the norm as, as things went on, um, there was real kind of conflict as to what was going to be happening with these different actors and all this kind of stuff. Then. And that, that kind of um, gossipy uh, behind-the-scenes talk and stuff like that is really really delicious to dig your fingers into if you're a film fan and so to see it stretching all the way back to something like Grand Hotel is wonderful and uh, notably as well I I find this quite amusing that um, so Greta Garbo didn't come to the, the opening of the film at the Grauman's Chinese Theatre in Hollywood um, and it was a massive star-studded affair they signed this book it was one of the first kind of really really massive Uh, openings of a film of its time at that era. And so she didn't do it. She didn't go along. So Wallace Beery dressed up as uh, Greta Garbo's character in the film, this ballerina, and presented himself. And apparently, uh, according to the the reports, nobody applauded and was very like, oh, this is bad taste (laughs) kind of thing. Um, But that's the kind of the mishmash of different, you know, personalities and these heightened personalities. And they just... Uh You know, they explode off the screen. Uh, And I do want to kind of talk about the the relationship that Greta Garbo had as well, because she pushed for a closed set for the romance scenes. And these aren't like explicit romance scenes at all, but they are very, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing to see an actress like her working because she respects the human emotion so deeply and carefully. And so requested for a closed set. And, Sure enough, her and John Barrymore really hit it off, and the relationship flowed off screen that the 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 love was tangible, and you can feel that in those moments as they inch closer and closer together uh, I just uh... This film just is so beautiful. It's such a joy. Yeah, it's such a treat. <laughs> and
1: something, something I noticed as I was, as I was watching it because I'm trying to keep a close eye on uh, not only how film has changed in general, and I think you can really see the advances and especially like art direction and cinematography here. Just the 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 shots from above of the kind of circular pattern of the of the hotel and seeing all the ro- I mean, just absolutely stunning. But also the acting is is becoming less presentational. Um when you first move out of the silent film era era, there is still that kind of theatricality, that kind of uh acting to the back row. Um, you know, big expressions, big eyes, loud uh loud presentation of dialogue. And here everything is so much more naturalistic. Like I I mean, it's Barrymore is like I I, I guess I should say John Barrymore, because Lionel Barrymore is also in this movie. John Barrymore is is very subtle and very smooth. And you can see why people fall for him both in a romantic sense and a friendship sense. And we haven't mentioned Kringlein, uh, Lionel Barrymore, who's just so sweet and so wonderful. And you just like, it's interesting. Like you, you watch his portrayal and it very easily could tip over into the side of like, Oh my God, this guy is so nice. Who even cares anymore? Like it's so saccharine, but like you do really care for this guy and you see why, both both the baron and eventually flimption like connect to him and care about him and want to do nice things for him and be his friend and be there for him. Like you really do get it. But all of these performances, none of them to me feel like acting with a capital a, you know, and a lot of it is probably because of the style of the film. It is, it's not a comedy by any stretch of the imagination as comedic moments, but even when things are really difficult, there's a light touch. To this movie. And I think that transfers to these performances, which is why, uh, praising our our villain really stands out. Like from the very beginning, he's very gruff. And also, uh, just to mention how strange it is to have at this time, Joan Crawford's character essentially do the closest thing that a character could in this time to walking in on a male character naked. Like the fact that she walks in on him the first time she meets him, he's just coming out of the shower and it's, and he's very gruff and like sends her out of the room. So you get immediately what kind of guy he is. He's not charming. He's not cool. He's not even like mildly embarrassed by this. He's just like, get out of my space, you know, which is a great character moment. And, you know, when I was first watching this, I was like, Oh, I don't trust that guy. And I liked that The movie kind of rewards the audience for that, like rewards how you're looking at these characters by like, no, no, he's not just a mean, he's not just someone you shouldn't trust. Like he ends up being a killer. So you have to really be concerned about, about this guy. And I just think it's, it's just kind of a perfectly crafted movie. I was really, it feels very modern in that way.
2: Yeah. And what I liked about um, Wallace Beery's presentation is, is pricing and, We should probably run through what the characters are at the hotel for, but he's a businessman there to do business with Manchester and all this kind of stuff. And yet his performance, yes, he is the villain of the piece, but he's not a traditional villain in a lot of ways. You still have empathy for him. You still, like, from my perspective, you can see a heart in this character. You can see how he ends up being the person that he is. And yes, he's a kind of a despicable person, especially because certainly for uh, Joan Crawford's Flemchen, the stenographer who is there to work for people, um, you know, he basically wants to buy her to come and work for him and be his side piece. And it's like, she's like, yeah, I'm not doing that. And he's like, look, it's fine. You know, it's not a problem. It's okay. But the film and his performance presents that with a little bit of heart and it's not asking us to empathize or care about him, but it's just showing that there is a person there, not a caricature. And that's masterful. Like that is so difficult to actually do. It sounds easy when we say it, but it's so difficult to actually present somebody who's despicable or heinous or unlikable, uh, as a genuine person as somebody who is a real human being and it's done so well here so well
1: Yeah. yeah they do it they do it smartly in very quick succession right where you have these moments where he's you know talking to a friend in the hotel room kind of talk about how he's falling for this person and he's like oh maybe that's a possibility so he gets that sense of hope and even in that scene his face lightens a little bit and he kind of It brightens up and you're like, oh, and then like almost immediately after that, you have a scene where and of course, they're using Lionel Barrymore to great effect here. They have the two of them essentially get into an argument and then you see truly how cruel he can be. So they do both very quickly where it's like, oh, maybe he's a nice guy underneath. And then you're like, oh, look how he treats people who he sees as beneath him. This is something we have to be concerned about like because if you're mean to Otto kringlein like you have no heart like it, it's, it's just a, a nice uh just a nice guy you know like throw out the fact that he's dying of some mysterious illness but just in general he's a well-meaning good person what could he possibly have done to offend anyone so when you have someone attack him you're like oh that's definitely the bad guy this is not the guy i should be rooting for at all
2: yeah yeah and that's what i love about that character as well and and I initially thought that I was a bit apprehensive about uh, Kringlein because, you know, he's simply going to the Grand Hotel to die. We don't know what's wrong with him or whether he will actually die or not, but um, he has cashed out his his savings and he's going to live a luxurious life until, he, until it ends. And to approach a character like that in a film that is so positive and... and uh, you know, joyful. It can be a little bit apprehensive at first. Be, well, I was a little bit apprehensive at first because I was like, "Oh, I don't know about this." But then I realised that it, what it does is it elevates the other character of the film, which is the hotel itself. It elevates the importance and the power and the grandeur of such a brilliant hotel, and we get to see a lot of it, and you know, see the the beautiful rooms and the beautiful architecture and stuff. But it's just a case of this is a wonderful way of injecting that into the script and into a character to make everything else important and again it's something that I wish more filmmakers would learn like just small little things uh to to help you know add color and character to the whole entire story it's wonderful
1: yeah and I think uh, I think the film also smartly like builds into the screenplay it won't allow you to get too sad about Craigline uh, Because, you know, when he and the Baron first meet, you know, they're friends now, like, which is a really nice, sweet introduction. You know, he talks about he talks about like what he's dealing with. And the Baron, instead of going, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. That's so terrible. What he says is a short life and a gay one. And that's like such a nice way to look at this. Like, OK, you know, this is terrible news. But now you don't have anything to worry about other than this anymore. So you cash everything out. Let's get you some new clothes. Let's hang out. We'll go dancing. We'll have a great time. And it, so it never it never delves into, like, oh, my God, the tragedy of this man losing his life. Because you don't really know much about his life before the hotel. You get pieces of it here and there. But it's really about what he's going to do moving forward. And I think that's why it's really important that the movie does end with him moving forward and with him happy and with – even a tiny bit of hope that maybe they can find a doctor who can cure him. And I think that's of course all spurned by Joan Crawford's character, which is, you know, it's also a really strange way to, to end her kind of character arc in this movie. Cause it starts out of like, you know, are you going to be this guy's side piece? And then it's like, Oh, are you going to fall in love with a Baron? And it ends up with this sweet paternal relationship where they're both taking care of one another. And that's such an interesting, different way to end, uh, you know, a character who could very easily, by the way this film begins, you could see her as a sex pot in this movie. And then it ends with a totally chaste, non-romantic love by the end of the movie. And I thought like, wow. And the, the fact that they could get from her initial flirtation with the Baron to this with Kringlein in the space of a couple hours. It's pretty impressive stuff.
2: You know, it, it, I'm I'm in awe of this film in so many ways. But I I, I want to uh, now just talking about these different characters. I find the 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 comparison between the Baron uh, and uh, and the uh, pricing as well to be really interesting because the Baron is at the hotel simply because he wants to steal things from people. He wants to you know absorb wealth from other people, and even there is a point where. He could easily turn on being the villain, and where he uh, where um Kringleline drops his full wallet of money that he has uh, basically gained at this uh, impromptu uh, gambling this poker table. and um while Kringleline is is uh, not feeling very well, he falls over on the bed and and is even further distressed because he's lost his money the Baron is like, I'm just going to pocket this. And then he has a change of heart and is like, no, 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 he is a friend of mine. I'm going to give him back his money. And it's just a fascinating way of, um, counteracting two different characters who are on paper, at least on the same ballast. They're on the same, you know, breadth of, of, uh, criminality in a lot of ways. Um, Certainly with pricing, he is manipulative. He steals from uh, different uh, companies and manipulates other companies to uh, fall into bad transactions and yet does it with no shame at all because it's all about him. Whereas the Baron is so like, all right, I'm going to steal this. But then when he finds you know, Greta Garbo's beautiful, Grzenskaya, the, the dancer who is uh, both realizing that people don't need to come and see her anymore or don't want to come and see her anymore and yet craves that audience attention. And then when he sees her desperate and has, has stolen her diamonds or, or no her pearls, sorry. um, And then he returns them to her. and And that sounds like we shouldn't care about him because he did the wrong thing to start off with, but then he had a change of heart. But again, his performance is so brilliant that we're just like, Oh, you are a good person deep down inside but you just can't help yourself and it makes his death even sadder because he's just a he's just a nice guy
1: right i think i think that's the piece that is really affecting it's not just that he is a nice guy it's not just that he has a change of heart although that does tie us to him what really ties me to him by the end of the movie is like he makes the right choices given the situation he's in and because of that he dies like that is fucking tragic. Like it it ties you to him because like, OK, you see him pick up the wallet and you can see how it'd be tempting given his situation. And then he looks at he looks at his friend, his only friend, as he mentions in the very beginning when they meet, he says, I don't have any friends except, you know, and then Otto says, well, except us. We're friends. We just said that. And he has that realization, and, he's, and he realizes, like, I can't do this. There's a line I can't cross. You know, with, um, with Grusinskaya, you know, essentially they're dancing around the fact that she, she's suicidal because she doesn't, she doesn't have the attention anymore. She doesn't have her passion anymore. And he sees this and feels bad for her. And then that love becomes real. And the same thing, you know, it's it's interesting that this movie, which I mentioned has a very light touch, is a lot about death.
0: Mr. Pimenov, the ballet master. Kuzinskaya. Hello? Hello, Pimenov. I'm at the hotel. I couldn't go on. I couldn't. How's it going? Who's dancing? Dupree? Well, how's it? Oh, I see. They didn't miss me at all. Good night, Pinot. They didn't even miss me. Hello? Yes, I'm sorry. I finished. I always said I'd leave off when the time came. And who'd trouble about Grusinskaya. Who dances no more? What would she do? Grow orchids? Keep white peacocks? Die. That's what it comes to at last. To die. I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to wait. Don't be alarmed, madame. Who are you? Someone who happened to be hiding in your room. Why? I often come here when you're at the theater. Why? Just to be alone in your room, to breathe the air you breathe. There's no need to call for help, madame. Permit me. I, I couldn't help hearing. I couldn't help knowing what you were about to do just now. I uh, could have left by the window unnoticed, but I risked being discovered. May I say something, madame? You're so beautiful. It tore my heart to see you in despair like that. (laughs) What on earth have they been doing to you? Oh, you have everything to live for. Please don't cry anymore you must forgive me I've had a very trying evening I was so alone suddenly you were there
1: her suicidal ideation it's about Otto's impending death and and, uh, the Baron is surrounded by these people And does feel for them and not just in a piteous way, like, oh, these poor, these poor saps, they're all, they're all gonna die. Not like that, but just like really actually deeply feels for them and connects with them to his death. I mean, that is, and it's interesting that he's surrounded by death and he's the only one that actually dies in this movie. And that's certainly not the way you think this is gonna go at the beginning. Like, if if you know when you're introduced to Otto you think like oh god he's going to die in a hotel room by the end of the movie and it's going to be really sad or Grusinskaya is going to kill herself and that's going to be really sad and it's going to be a way for us to feel bad maybe for the Baron but instead everything is completely flipped and it's just it's fantastically done
2: and what I love about it as well is yes it is there is a lot of death to it but in those opening moments where everybody's on the phone call and stuff um Joan Jean Hersholtz's Porter really, really pointedly is on the phone trying to find out about his wife giving birth. And that it's, we don't touch on that throughout the film at all. But then one of the closing things is him finding out that he's had a, you know, a a son and it's just like, it just hammers home how, um, how fleeting life can be, but then also how celebratory and how immediate a new life can be and how, how brilliant it can be. We can wait for a whole day or two days and for a birth to take place. And uh, this torturous event, and who knows, I mean, giving birth in the, the 1930s would not have been a, a pleasant experience as compared to now where there are certain, yeah, or safe, yeah, exactly. And yet what this film does is it, 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 it puts a, a start and a full stop and reminds us that in the breadth of that time, so much can take place and so many lives can be changed and and you know and a death can occur and all this kind of stuff and it's just what i I think what i love about this film the most is that it forces you or it encourages you rather because it's not a forceful film at all but it encourages you to remember that life is fragile and so much takes place in life that we also need to you know, look out for other people and and respect other people. While our days are flurrying forward, uh, you know we don't know what's going on in somebody else's life, and yet we, um, to unfortunately make an allusion to a future best picture winner, we all kind of crash together in some ways, and we've got Boo. to deal with that.
0: I'm Boo, sorry, Adrian. I'm sorry. Don't <laughs> <Go> do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I do think it's interesting because it's it's probably the oldest trope in the history of art, right? With, with one death comes another, comes a birth, you know, this like celebration and this sorrow together. But there's a reason that trope has been around for so long is cause it works, you know, and it, this movie is proof of how well it works. The fact that we don't know really anything about that porter other than in the very beginning his wife is pregnant and at the very end his wife has given birth to a boy. That's kind of it. Cause he's not really, we don't, we don't pick up that story at all. And yet it's a moving moment. Uh, and it's actually, and it should be noted that it's a terrific performance in those first in those two scenes, the very beginning and the very end. You do really feel that, and you feel like it's an actual character and not just a bit. Um, which I think is a way this movie could have gone sideways if they'd made it too funny. I mean, it could have been like a like a Four Rooms type of movie, right, where the you know order kind of weaves in and out of the lives of these of these uh of these characters and it never it never goes there and one thing i wanted to mention is this is one of the first times in our first uh five uh academy awards that this is definitely they definitely made the right choice like i watched a bunch of the a bunch of the other nominees i watched aerosmith uh bad girl uh shanghai express uh, and the Smiling Lieutenant, and I feel like they definitely made the the right choice. I really like Bad Girl a lot. Shanghai Express is very good and very stylish. You can see uh, why it got uh, best cin- cinematography for sure. But this is probably and the Smiling Lieutenant is cute. It's a Maurice uh, Chevalier movie. It's very silly and kind of you know kind of a musical romp. You know, uh, and Bad Girl is is very good, but this is just like this is the one we should remember. Like, this is the right choice. This is the one, if I had to, if I had watched all of these together and I had to pick which one should be remembered for a hundred years, it's definitely Grand Hotel.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I've seen One Hour With You, which is uh, one of Ernst Lubitsch's musicals who, as we mentioned, um, the Patriot uh, was one of the, the lost films that was nominated for best picture. I really enjoyed that film a lot. I think it's a beautiful film and just, he co-directed it with George Kuker I believe. Um, but it's just a, a really, really beautiful movie and goes to show how uh, joyous a director Ernst Lubitsch was. Um, and again, you know, one of those kinds of directors that just kind of, he's celebrated in certain circles, but I think needs to be elevated a lot more. But on the same hand, I'm glad that this film won Best Picture because um, the first four films that we've discussed are about something they're about war or they're about, you know, the Broadway melody to an extent is about Broadway specifically. And, um, you know, there is kind of a, not much about grand hotel, like on paper, it's not really, it's not trying to be a film that is, you need to go home and this is what you're going to write about. This is the, your essay here. You, you know, you have gotten your lesson from this film kind of experience. Um, it's just—it's a purely entertaining movie. It just wants to entertain and engage with great performances, and that's it. And it's obviously a film that's resonated quite a lot. Like it—it it still features quite highly in a lot of um, different lists around the world. There is a beautiful line that Greta Garbo says, which is, "I want to be alone," and which is just a beautiful, beautiful line. And the way she delivers it is obviously Im- immensely better than what I've done. But that features a lot, you know. In <laughs> I mean, I, cl- and stuff. I just.
1: I mean, it sounds just like her. I don't. I don't know. I don't know yeah, what you mean. Well, I mean, you, been it's a perfect <laughs> interpretation. Yes, for sure. I, I want to pick up on something you said though. This this idea of you know Oscar movies being about something, being a war picture, being a this, being a that, uh, and this being entertainment. Uh, and I think that's true to a certain extent. Uh, I think this is a movie designed to entertain. But it's interesting that you can you can have a movie designed to entertain that's still affecting emotionally. It doesn't mean it's just like loud noises and songs and dance numbers and action sequences whatever film you want to throw in there. Sometimes you can have a movie with big Hollywood stars um, being as charming as they can be, make an entertaining film, but also a movie that makes you think. I think there's a lot here that's beneath the surface and I think that is why it's something that should be remembered. Is because you you can create a movie that you can watch on a couple different levels like anyone can watch this movie and just be like that was nice that was fun okay cool i had a good time but then you can see like the themes about life and death and rebirth and you know all this stuff there's a lot there underneath so i think it's important to mention because i think sometimes when people see oh this a movie designed to entertain it's like okay then it's fluff then it doesn't matter and i definitely don't think that's the case with grand hotel
2: oh yeah yeah definitely and and i i i I think that that is one of the difficult things that um certainly us as people who talk about film have to encourage people to push back against that you know it's just an enjoyable film uh, you know is is dealt with in such a dismissive manner and you know you look at something like Sleepless in Seattle, for example, or When Harry Met Sally. Like, they're, they're not in the same ilk as Grand Hotel, but they are enjoyable, entertaining films. And they come along and entertain you, and that's it. And yet, they are undeniable classics. They're undeniably great films that, you know, when we watch them, we can't help but take away a lot more than what we think is on paper and that's what with you know that's what's here with with grand hotel it is a very entertaining film and yes it's not from my perspective it's still not specifically about you know it's not you're not taking a lesson home but you are getting a grand sumptuous meal of a film and that's that's a real treat and i think I think it's really nice to see a film like Grand Hotel win Best Picture so early on in the Oscars life because, yeah, I mean, coming back to what we were just talking about, so often the discussion about Best Picture winners, nowadays at least, is, but does this mean anything? Does this film actually mean anything? And it's... It's, so, it's not enough to just be a Best Picture winner. It needs to say something about society or it needs to be a reflection on the times when it's released and stuff like that. And that's certainly applicable for something like Parasite, for example. Um, but on the same hand, it doesn't matter for a film like Grand Hotel, even though the story is set in Berlin and is, even alludes to um, difficulties between Germany and Russia. And this is, you know, 1932, and seven years later, the world would be pushed into war. And yet, you know, obviously they didn't know that then. Um, but it's just a, it's just entertainment, and sometimes that's enough.
1: Yeah, I, I agree, and I think. You bringing up that the Oscars tend to award things that, quote unquote, are about something or mean something, I think is kind of a mistake, not on your part, but on the Academy's, um, in that it tends to reward things that lack subtlety um you mentioned like oh well if it doesn't have a message that's clear about now or about something we're dealing with then it gets kind of ignored and and honestly what it made me think of and probably because we had been talking about off-air uh this oral history of mad max fury road um and mad max fury road of course was nominated for best picture which was wonderful but you knew you just knew it wasn't going to win Uh, because it's seen as an action film, and it's seen as a chase film. But there's a lot underneath the surface there about feminism, about misogyny, about government control. I mean, there's a lot there, but it's, it's hidden. It's couched in the action framework, so it doesn't get the respect. So then, you know, that's why you get... You know, winners like Crash and winners like Green Book, which are very, let's say, clear with their messaging. That's the nicest way I can put it. They know exactly what they're trying to get across. And those films tend to get rewarded because it's easy, because it's easy to look like, Oh, well, we want to, we want to reward the movie that says racism, racism is bad. I mean, that's, that's a good message to send, you know, so it tends, I think sometimes the academy tends to award the wrong movies, but also, um, I was also looking at this this particular Academy Awards the fifth Academy Awards and if you're one of those people that hates how long the Academy Awards are this is the beginning this is where everything started to go downhill because they started adding categories you have you know the first time uh, short films were rewarded and I think the first honorary award which was given to Walt Disney for the creation of Mickey Mouse uh so now you're starting to see the Oscars realize how popular they are maybe and start to stretch and stretch and give out more and more awards. So this is this is five years in, this is where it all starts to go downhill.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I guess I guess there's certainly a feeling that because of this being such a star studded thing, that you know you need to reward everybody to make sure that everybody kinda of goes home with a, a prize or something like that. Um, but I also maybe it's a it's a matter of um, them realizing that, you know, films aren't just actors, directors, writers, and Right. That's it. Like there's more. I mean, I'm it. speaking
1: mainly facetiously. I think it's a good thing that we're rewarding people, you know, below the line people who are not, you know uh, not the actors, not the directors, not the writers, but like it takes a lot to make a great film. So those people definitely should be rewarded. I want to make that clear. I'm not saying like, don't reward anybody. Just keep it to six nominations. I don't care about anyone else. <laughs> yeah.
2: I find it interesting as well for this year in particular, there, there was a tie for best actor. Um, I believe that's the only time there was a tie. The only time. Uh, Yep. Yep. Uh, So Wallace Beery won for the champ as the champ. And if you haven't seen the champ, it's a great film. Um, Very, very, very um, heartbreaking in a lot of ways. Um, And Frederick March also won for uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mrs. Hyde um, too, which is really fascinating, but they also don't have um, supporting actors at this point. It's just your best actors. Uh, So that's, that's in itself a really fascinating thing. Um, But again, I think this is a thing as we're going to discover as we go along with these best picture winners. um, And it's certainly something that I'm keeping in mind as we're watching. Well, as I'm watching them, like the conversation that the Academy is trying to have, what kind of discussion are they trying to have? And I've talked about this before and I'm, I keep on bringing it up only because I just find it a fascinating thing that, you know, this, the Academy is a, the membership, at least, is something that is constantly in flux. Certainly, people who are voting in nineteen thirty-two are not the people who are voting in twenty twenty. They're not alive anymore. <laughs> they're, or...
1: they're dead. Yeah, yeah,
2: they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> they're dead. But I'm curious about what the like, what the permeating meaning of the Oscars is. What the permeating um, status and what it stands for as a figurehead thing in cinema that I find really fascinating. And if they're rewarding films like grand hotel, then, you know, I kind of wish that this is the kind of film that I wish I could go to the Academy, like all 6,000 members or 8,000 members thereabouts and just slap them on the face and say, this is the kind of film that, you know, watch this again and just remember what great cinema is like, maybe consider this sometimes, especially like nowadays, we just have a lot of great films that are nominated. Little Women, for example. Why the fuck didn't that win? Like, not saying that Para- it should have won over Parasite. Parasite's great, but it's just like... That's the kind of film that this feels like. It's warm. It makes you feel good. And it's just a really well-made movie. And sometimes that's all that matters. Um, mm. Yeah.
1: So so let me do something that I never thought I would do. Let me defend the Academy for oh, a right. moment. All right, go for it then. <laughs> So, I think something that people sometimes forget because you know, every year we all have our favorites that we would love to see get awarded, right? Uh, like you know, you know, when the year Mad Max uh, was nominated, many people that was their favorite. My favorite that year was Brooklyn. I really would have loved that to win to be remembered in that way. But back in the 1930s, there's just less movies, man. There's less options. So, you know, I think it's easier to nominate the right movies when, you know, 50 movies come out that year instead of 450 come out. (laughs) You know, like, I mean, even if you're not talking about like the minuscule independent films, like the tiny micro budget films, like when theaters are open, like when I would go there, there's three or four movies that open every week and there's 52 weeks in a year. Like, that's a lot of movies. So it's like, and you only have so many spots. You know, at most you have 10 uh, that you can nominate. Um, So mistakes get made. So I think it's easy for us to look back at the 1930s and be like, wow, they really made the right choice. Except for years like Cimarron and the Broadway Melody. But like years like this, you're like, yeah, you got it right. And like, you, you know, and I watched a bunch of these movies that were nominated and not a single one of them was bad. They're all enjoyable, good movies. But again there's less, but I do find it interesting that they rewarded grand hotel. And it, it kind of makes sense. If you have a cynical view of the Oscars, given that it was so star studded, had all these kind of old Hollywood stars, especially Garbo. Like it feels like it feels like a movie they would really, really love. It is shocking that there were no other nominations for it. But one thing I love about this, this was the last time I think no film won more than two Oscars. Um, And again, that's easier when you only have eight awards instead of like 900 or whatever they have now. But I would love it to go back to something like that where you reward a vast number of films because it would be nice for, you know, 30 movies to be able to say Oscar winner this, whatever it may be, instead of. You know, years like, and not to shit on movies like Titanic. I think Titanic is a great movie. And same thing with Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, where it's like, okay, it won 13 Oscars or whatever it is. It's like, okay, did anyone else get one? Like, this is, (laughs) did we make any other movies this year? Like, can we just (laughs) spread it out a little bit? So, yeah, so I think, so I think, yeah, I would love it if the Oscars. Um, rewarded movies like this more, but I think they had an easier job in 1932, 1933 than they do in 2020.
2: Yeah, I can understand that. I, I appreciate that. Um, I just, I don't know. I, it's hard when we look back at these older films to not bring up the modern ones because this is what we're living through, and and we are looking back through a looking glass at, at a period, at a different period of time that we weren't around in, so we can't help it refer to the current nominees or the past few years of best picture winners and stuff like that. And, and maybe that kind of um, reflection will change as we've got more of these best picture winners under our belt. We're still only in early days. This is, you know, the fifth best picture winner. Um, But I'm, I, I just find that really interesting. And I find it also interesting that it's kind of like great, bad, great, good, good, um, and then great again. Although some may say that *Cimarron* was bad, so it's like wings. great... Many say finish.
1: that Andrew, you have to understand, you are yeah. on a different side of history than most people. If you look at lists of uh, best picture winners, that is oh, always looked. near the bottom. So that's always near the bottom. So don't pretend like you're like good. Maybe come on. You know, in general, it's thought of as bad. Let's let's not let's not it's sugarcoat sort of insane, this. You can have. And it is. And that's fine. You can have your wrong opinion. It's totally fine. (laughs) I'm sure eventually (laughs) I'm going to come to a you know, an Oscar winner that is very well thought of and be like, This is fucking terrible. So eventually I will be on the wrong side of history, just like you are right now.
2: Yeah, I expect you to uh, be championing the greatest show on earth when we eventually get to that Um, around the world in
1: eighty days. But that's—I mean, maybe I will. You never know. Like, I haven't seen those movies, and like, I've heard that they're bad, but I haven't heard why. So maybe I'll watch it and be like, hey, maybe that will be my Cimarron. Maybe.
2: Yeah.
1: Probably Uh, not because I'm very smart. But
2: yeah, possible. yeah bring bring it back to grand hotel for one last kind of hurrah for this film. Cause it is just a brilliant film. I find it very interesting that we spend, you know, for, for films like Broadway melody or Cimarron, we spent so much time engaging with what worked and what didn't work in that particular film. And yet, and this is the hard thing for critics and, and people talking about movies and reviewing movies when it's so good and so great. Um, it's sometimes a little bit harder to kind of pinpoint exact reasons why. And I think we've, we've touched on a lot of the reasons why it's a great film, but it's also hard to be so uh, outwardly effusive in praise for a film like this and not make it feel like you're being disingenuous. Like I'm, we genuinely love this film. It is a great, great movie and, and highly recommend people seek it out. Um, but don't, I just want listeners to know that, you know, don't let our dalliances in, in other discussions um, kind of light the fact that this is, it's still a great movie. We just love it a lot. Um, but it's hard to sometimes talk about these movies. Do you find that sometimes?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's one of those things where when when someone asks, like, oh, what's the good thing? What are the good things about Grand Hotel? Or another movie of its ilk, like a movie you love. What you want to say is like, fucking everything. Just go watch it. What's wrong with you? (laughs) Like it's, and it's, I think it's, it's also easier to talk about when things go wrong in a movie, it's easier to talk about why, because we can maybe see, okay, here's where the choices were made that were incorrect. But when choices were correct, when they made all the right choices, you're like, yeah, good work. This is, this is what you were supposed to do. Good job. Like this is, and I think, uh, I think where this movie really shines, uh, besides everywhere is the performances. Like, I think this is, I think that's why it's so shocking. It wasn't nominated for best actor or best actress, especially because I think um the, the same actor who was our villain here got nominated for best actor for the champ. I think it's the same exact person. So it's, you know, it's, but it's one of those things I think maybe because as I talked about, I think this, this marks a change in acting style, It makes me wonder if it just takes a couple years for people to get used to this. Like, this is so smooth. And sometimes when performances and filmmaking look effortless like this does, I think sometimes it gets negated because they make it look so easy. Where you're like, okay, it's like... It's like if you're, if you're a sports fan of any sport, right? If someone is so good and so above the competition that they make it look easy, you're almost less impressed. Whereas if someone struggles and then achieves, you're like, Oh, okay. I can see it because we relate to struggle. Whereas a movie like this, everyone is just like shooting from the hip and doing really well and smooth and good looking and all those things. And I think sometimes it gets left behind, but these are, I mean, of the, of the, six movies that we've covered so far this may have my favorite performances like this is probably the best cast across across a film that we've seen and it's I think it's also easier to notice a movie that's dominated by one performance that has a true protagonist and this has three or four kind of split evenly so everyone has a good half hour right um, so I think it's easy again to negate those performances but please don't if you haven't seen this movie um. Even if we've talked about how things end and how things don't, like it is such a worthwhile experience to sit down and watch Grand Hotel.
2: Oh yes, very much so, and it it still matters because of that reason. Um, and this doesn't. No, I'm kidding. Weird. I'm
1: kidding. It definitely. Anyways, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> After all this, I'm gonna be like, no, it doesn't matter. No, actually, no, no, no it's matter. It's just how, good. It's just good. But it's that fine. I matter. guess you know. If you like <laughs> yeah. movies. It's fine. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um but i think i think out of all the films that we've watched so far this is certainly one that uh i'm i'm eager to re-watch on a on more frequently like i've already rewatched the the film with the commentary and enjoyed mm. it a lot and i just this is kind of film that you just want to kind of sit with and and sometimes just having on the background and stuff like that—it's a comfort film. Um, and yeah, it's a—it's a, it's a real rarity in
1: out. that way. Actually, yeah. like I kind of talked about how meaningful it can be and how deep it can be, but it can also just be like a really nice thing to just put on in the background while you're doing other stuff. And there's very few movies that are like that. Most of the times, background movies are just background movies. You're like, oh, that's pretty to look at, but there's not much to it. Uh, whereas this—it's both, uh, which is—which was a really nice surprise.
0: Oh, well, how was it? All right, you keep the show going. This little trick is going to cost madame a suit for breach of contract. Madame, is nurse. nurse? How about my nurse? Who is she? Where does she think she is? Russia? Well? I want to be alone. Where have you been? I suppose I can cancel the Vienna contract. I just want to be alone. You're going to be very much alone, my dear madame. This is the end. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to auscastnetwork.com for details.